Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A regular season for the ages. Well, at least in my eyes and mind. But the 2017-18 Celtics, not just the best team in the Eastern Conference, but one of the most entertaining seasons in my 25 years as a fan of the team. I got personal favorites, 1991, 2002, 2008. But that's just a small sample size. How about a Hall of Fame basketball scribe who's followed the team for 50? The Globe's Bob Ryan. Coming up on episode number 240 of Celtics Beat, presented today by DraftKings. Sign up at DraftKings.com and use the promo code CLNS. So we got this 2017-18 edition of the Celtics regular season. Regular season. Shaping up to be not just one of the best, but one of the most entertaining in recent memory. I have my personal favorite, of course. Well, two of my favorites, 91 and 2011 actually can serve as historical red flags that any season such as this can go awry for the Celts, but things are just too good now. So anyways, Bob, I, I know from reading for your, your memoirs, Scribe, 1973, your your favorite. Yeah, 72-73, obviously, yes. Yeah. That's, that's the one that uh, I referred to. You know, you, if you don't win the championship, you don't win the championship, there was a, you can always make excuses, and they had a very good reason, but that doesn't mean that the season wasn't fun. The season was an incredibly a much, a great deal of fun. Yeah, you talked about it in your book, and of course, this is where I get to easily plug everybody to go to your memoirs, scribe my life in sports, but do a little bit of a cheat. Talk why the 73 season was fun. Even someone like me, I mean, I have a lot of the games on, on tape, don't have that season. Those games almost didn't even exist, so you just sort of look at face value, the 68 wins, Havlicek, had he not gotten hurt in the Eastern Conference Finals, they almost surely would have beaten the Knicks, which means they almost surely would have won the NBA championship. But give it like why 73, that, at least that regular season was so awesome. And com- even right. Number to- one, this was, this was year four of the Heinsohn regime, and it began, which had begun in 69-70 with the, him taking over from Russell. No Russell, no Sam Jones. They won 34 games. Although they did win the season series with the champion Knicks, by the way, people forget that. Uh, uh, not neither here nor there, but it's an interesting little historical tidbit. The next season, Cowens came, and they won 44 games, but did not make the playoffs. But they had turned the corner. Definitely had turned the corner. Things were looking up, the trending up. The third year, they won 56 games with no significant player additions, uh, just improvement of younger players. They just that team uh, just kept Cow- trending upwards. Yeah, they, they won 56, but they weren't as good as the Knicks. The Knicks beat them in the, in the uh, playoffs in five games, that was, and um, uh, Dave DeBuscher was uh, impossible for them to deal with uh, at power forward. 
uh, and they needed an, uh, uh, the Busher antidote. And then you have to go backtrack to um, uh, how the uh, Paul Silas thing all came about, which is as follows. They had obtained the rights to Charlie Scott in the 1970 draft. In that famous 1970 draft, one of the handful of greatest drafts in NBA history, um, they uh, picked in later rounds some guys who had already been signed by the ABA, one of whom was Charlie Scott. So they owned the rights to Charlie Scott. Now we fast forward to 1972, uh, excuse me, 1972. Uh, I believe it was in March. I, I, it was a Sunday afternoon game, and, and Red Auerbach is sitting with Jerry Colangelo. Jerry Colangelo was the general manager of the Suns. They're not playing. I don't even know if they were playing the Suns. I don't think they were. It doesn't matter. And I said, there's only one reason why, they, in my mind, why, they, why he, Red Auerbach is talking to Jerry Colangelo. He wants to get Paul Silas. And um, so, uh, and he's got a he's got a carrot, namely uh, the rights to Charlie Scott. And so, uh, Charlie Scott. By the way, this is a, a, a complete incredible coincidence. But Charlie Scott, uh, his last game in the ABA was in uh, the Nassau County Coliseum, and I happened to be there. What was I doing there? I, I don't even know why I was there, but I was there. And and uh, Charlie Scott actually borrowed a Globe pen from me, which he never returned. Uh, I, but I, I, I'm not going to fret about that. So anyway, um, so he has come and jumped to the Suns, and uh, and jumped. To, anyway, they they've got uh, they've got Charlie Scott. Uh, the Celtics have the rights. Well, long story short, the Celtics are able to parlay this and, and trade the rights to Scott uh, for Silas, and they get Silas. So now we're in year four, and Paul Silas is the starting power forward, and he is without question immediately the missing link. And they go off. They start off ten and zero. Their first loss was against Kansas City Omaha Kings, Tiny Archibald. And I can still remember that practice the day before. Tom Heinsohn, uh, they can't let this guy beat us. We've got to devise a way to, to frustrate Archibald and keep him from beating us. So naturally he went out and I think got something like 35 and 15. That's the year he led the league in scoring and assist. And he beat them, although the key jump shots at the end of the game were by Matt Gukas. I can still see from the left-hand corner. Anyway, Who I know Archibald was a horrible a- announcer from NBC. So that's yeah, nice fellow, a very, very good guy, by the way. And uh, anyway, so and a future coach, as you know, but the good guy. Anyway, uh, Maddie uh, beats them. So they, and they go on, and they never have a dead spot in the season. Larry, never have a dead spot. They they just continue to win and win and win and win and win. They were the best running team of them all of the Celtics uh, era. The best pure running team. They had the they had the rebounding with Cowens and Silas. They had. Uh, the middlemen, uh, with, uh, if Havlicek was in the middle, that's fine. JoJo in the middle. Coming off the bench, Hambone Williams, who was an extraordinary passer in the middle. They had the wingmen, uh, and they had the trailing jump shooters, a kind of orchestrated fast break that no longer exists. So that Don Nelson would amble down at the end of the break and get the trailer jumper unmolested from 15, and sometimes Cowens would take that jump shot. But uh, they were a phenomenal running team. And, uh, and and it was they just steamrolled through the regular season. Very few, very few dead spots. They get to the playoffs and uh, they they blow out the Hawks and and um, now they uh, in fact that they did so I believe by had an incredible run in Game Five uh, on the road. They they uh, excuse me uh, Game Six on the road I guess they uh, they had a great run. Anyway, the Knicks uh, they're they're one one with the Knicks. They're in Game Three and uh, and and uh, Havlicek gets caught on a pick between Cow- I mean, the Busher and Bradley, and he, and he messes up his right shoulder, his shooting arm shoulder. He has to miss game four. They go down to New York in game four, and uh, they, uh, they go up by 16 by the end of the third. They're playing a wonderful game. 
The Knicks launch a comeback, totally, completely abetted by referees Jack Madden and uh, Jake O'Donnell. This is not just a Bob Ryan uh, uh, parochial lament. Uh, you, I can refer you to the written testimony of the Philadelphia writers and the new, other neutral writers. who were, Jack Kaiser of the Philadelphia Daily News called it the rape of Madison Square. That's his words, not mine. And uh, I'll give you an example of the kind of what I call subconscious crowd orchestration that, that, was the, uh, that took over the referees. Frazier stole the ball, and he's going down for a fast break layup, and Don Nelson is nearby, and he pulls his arms in so as not to uh, create an impression of any contact whatsoever, and Frazier lays the ball in, and he gets the whistle and a foul. There was no contact. In the background of the, I've seen a photo, in the background, Madden's arm is already raised before the shot's even shot. So he's ready to give him a three-point play before he even lays the ball in the basket because that's the way the momentum of the crowd was swaying his, him as a human being in a Madison Square Garden at that moment. So they wind up blowing a 16-point lead, and they lose in double overtime. JoJo had a terrific game. By the way, his son, Brian, was born that night, uh, so I always remember that. So uh, they lose game four. Now we go to game five, and Havlicek is back. And, uh, uh, and he, he gets, comes off the bench and home scores 18 points, almost exclusively using his left hand. Silas has a big rebounding game. Steve Kaberski had a monster game, and, uh, and they win. They go uh, back to New York, game six, down three games to two, have another great game. Silas has another great game. Havlicek is less effective, but still somewhat effective. He has nine points, still playing left-handed. They win and tie it up. So now we come home to Boston for game seven. At this point in history, they have never lost a seventh game, period. So, uh, and, and certainly not at home. So uh, we're all thinking it's a, it's a walkover. They're going to beat the Knicks. They're going to win. They're better. They're blah, blah, blah. And uh, Havlicek comes off the bench. This time, the Knicks said to themselves, because they were being very deferential. They were not really, they were letting him do whatever he wanted in games five and six. Now they're saying, well, he's not gonna, we're not going to let a one-armed man beat us with his wrong arm. And they swarmed all over him, made him turn the ball over. They rendered him totally ineffective. Meanwhile, the star of the game in his career game, ask any Nick who was there, the late Dean Memminger. Dean Memminger had the game of his professional life, and they win 94-78. They not only win, but they bow the Celtics out at home. That ended that season. So that's how the season ended. The, the sad thing about it from the Celtics' point of view was the Knicks went on to defeat the Lakers in five games. They killed the Lakers the in the regular season that year. The Celtics swept the Lakers, and in those four games, Cowens averaged 31 points and 19 rebounds. Wilt Chamberlain could not deal with Cowens because he was at that point that was lacking last all year, lateral right? mobility. Yeah, that was his he had, last he season. He had no more lateral mobility left. He could only overpower you straight on. He couldn't go out and guard Cowens. He couldn't. If, it, it, Cowens just did what he wanted, and and, he, and Cowens was a quicker. It was quick to the ball, and he, anyway, to the rebound. So they would have won. They would have blown out the Lakers. And, and but you know, it, it happened, and they lost Havlicek, and they couldn't make up for it. Yeah, and not even tapes. I believe you referenced Game 4. I do believe there are some tapes of Game 4 that exist, but I know only the radio call, Marv Albert's radio call uh, for whatever the station down in New York. I don't know if they were on WFAN back then. I'm not even sure if that even existed, but I, I know only Marv no, Albert. Yeah, I know only his radio call exists um, for that Game 7. I want to cheat a little bit because you're mm -hmm. talking about Dave Cowens, who coincidentally you just had on your Boston, on your Bob Ryan Boston's podcast. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump around because yeah, go ahead. 1973, I guess, he won the MVP, so it, it definitely qualifies as one of the best individual seasons in Celtics history, at least 
recently-ish, or at least post-Russell. Kyrie Irving right now, I like to think, I sort of ranked it out to it around 3-5. to five. Uh, For me, you know, now I wasn't following the team as much back then, but I have all the tapes. 88, Bird, uh, I believe that was his best season of his career. That was when he added the left hand. I remember reading that in your book, Drive. But Bird in 88, Garnett 08, Pierce 2002, the infamous Bombs Away squad. I was sophomore year in high school. That was one of my favorite Celtics teams. I would say Kyrie this year, maybe number four, but that Cowan 73 year. So you got to fill me on in this because if there's any NBA history controversy over MVPs, him winning the MVP over Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that year is sort of one of those, like sort of a, a David Robinson over Hakeem Olajuwon or Carmelo Malone over um, Jordan. How did, I, how did I pause on that one? But talk a little bit in depth about Cowens in 73 and where that ranks sort of individually of Celtic seasons that you at least you've uh, seen when you've been covering well, the team. Well, it's not like the numbers were that gaudy. I don't even know what they were off the top of my head. And uh, you probably have it in front of you right now. I, I don't, don't have it in front of you right now. I'll get them, though. Well, he averaged around 20, and, and he averaged probably about 14 or 15 rebounds or somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, in, a, in an era when there were more rebounds to get, and the rebound numbers were substantially higher than they, were, they are now and ever will be again because in those days people took more shots and missed, and made, missed more shots, and someone had to get the rebounds. So that, that's why the rebound numbers of, the, of, uh, of those days are, are, are higher than any rebound numbers average are going to be today. Now, uh, as far as Cowan's over Kareem, you know, it's, I don't remember if there was a bunch of an upcry, uh, outcry at all, uh, maybe in Milwaukee, but I don't think so. Um, he, he just seemed to be the most – they won 68 games, and he, and he had this season when, when you know, he matched up – extremely well against all the other centers in the league, Kareem included. And uh, um, Kareem was now settling into this phenomenal career where you took him for, perhaps Kareem, and I'll, I'll throw this out there, perhaps even, uh, let's see, this is year four for, uh, five for him. By this time, perhaps he's being taken for granted already. You know, this happens. Certain great players get taken for granted. Uh, LeBron is, 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 is still reminding, has to remind some people how great he is because they take it for granted. Uh, I, uh, I, I, Maybe he's already in that category by 1972-73, that, uh, that, that, uh, which is a, a problem. People didn't appreciate. I'll tell you one thing. In the 74 finals, if it weren't for Kareem, the Celtics would have swept. They could have swept anyway. All the six game, first six games, they could have won. And, um, uh, and, and the only reason there was any series whatsoever, that's one of the most forgotten great performances in finals history is, is uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1974 against the Celtics because he kept them alive. They lost starter. They lost two starters. They lost one before the playoffs started, and that was, I mean, uh, that was uh, Lucius Allen. Then they lost John McLaughlin in the first game of the uh, finals, and uh, their backcourt consisted of Oscar Robertson at age 35, and it was slowing down, and Mickey Davis, who was a forward, and, and uh, uh, oh, they lost Fritz Williams, too. And he wasn't. So they were desperate the backcourt. Anyway, back to Cowens in '73. Um, it, it was just a totality of everything, and he, he was a, he was viewed as the key force on on a team that just won 68. And uh, so it it didn't. I don't honestly remember that there was any kind of general outcry uh, about it at all. Well, there's revisionist history of it, I guess. I guess it's not as much. Well, I guess I mean yeah. people look at people come revisit it now and only look at numbers. There's a lot they, to talk about who, in the digital space, and they know who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is, and and they don't you know, and they don't have a full appreciation of the unique uh, role, the unique 
style, the uniqueness of Dave Cowan, since there has never been anyone before or since quite like him, and certainly not in the total package when you combine off the court with on. Dave Cowan's is utterly sui generis. But as a player, there's nobody like him. There's, every once in a while, somebody tries to compare some, uh, usually a left-hand white guy, David Lee being the most notable recent example. David Lee was to Dave Cowan's what... Um, uh, a, a good sub is to a, 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 a great filet mignon, okay? I mean, and, and that's all I can say. That's just improvising that one. But there's, there's nobody like Cowens, but nobody, there's no frame of reference for someone to understand what Cowens was like and how the effect he had on all those games for the, for the, the, you know, in his career. So I understand if you're looking from backward from history and, and without understanding the, 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 you know, what, what it was and only see numbers that you would say, oh, well, uh, this must have been a miscarriage of justice. No, it was a, it was a complete uh, carriage of justice that everyone, no one questioned. Nobody. There wasn't question. Individually, though, now that we're on this, what were, I sort of threw the, the ones out there, at least in my lifetime, like Garnett 08, Pierce in that 2002 Celtics season, taking that team to the conference finals, and that was his real breakout, breakout, breakout season. You have to put Kyrie Irving, at least this year, up there. So individually, Isaiah last year, individually, what were the best seasons that well, you can Well, you know, it's very interesting that we're having this conversation, and you have not even mentioned the most important player and the greatest you know, the greatest player of all time in terms of, of achievement, the, the the greatest winner in the history of North well, America. I, I, I was referencing and my you lifetime. Even, you know what's funny? Yeah, oh, well, okay, because you can't even... I'll just say this about Russell. Russell was so great that no one talks about this spectacular season or that spectacular season. You know, until the last... You know, he played 13 years. Until, I'd say, his first 11... We're all at, at an extraordinary high level. And, and the last two, uh, he was getting older, and, and he had to pace himself, and he, and he picked his spots a little more. And, and, and his last year didn't even average 10 points a game. But he did, a, did let everybody know who he was by getting 36 rebounds on opening night, just to remind them that he was still Bill Russell when he needed to be. And, uh, you know, of course, his final game, uh, he got 21 rebounds. So, uh, uh, you know, anyway... Okay, and in our in my time, which starts in '69, '70, first of all, Havlicek, uh, we could we could parse a few of those years, and, six, and that very first year, Havlicek led the t- league in, in points, rebounds, and assists, uh, and and w- w- was the best non-center in the league, and there's no argument to my mind about that, uh, and, and he was for the next four years, frankly. Um, so there you go with that. Uh, but Bird, you say '87, '88, well '84. He was MVP three years prior to that. And he didn't win it that year. Jordan won it. That was a great MVP race, yeah. 85-86 was, was, uh, you know, you know that, I'm I'm throwing this out there, do you know that he had a run in 85-86 when he went uh, one stretch, uh, mostly on the road, 25 for 34 on threes. I did not know that. That's not bad. 25 for 34 on threes, and and I have the books and I can prove it. And um, and it was mostly on the road. You know, they didn't take as many threes then. I mean, yeah, God, I was going to say that was probably played over almost like twelve games. I mean, yeah, he he, More. he 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 didn't like the three. He thought it was bogus, you know. But he but he learned but he used it strategically better than anybody. But at the, in his time, but, the first but, year but, was uh, his rookie year of the three pointer coming in. Chris Ford, the well, first I mean, three pointer in NBA history. Well, he hit the, well, the first one was Chris Ford, which, which was a one hand set from the right corner uh, because he barely left his feet, and. Um, uh, Bird had the first three-pointer in an All-Star game uh, in Washington. Put help put the All-Star game away down there, and um, 
he had a, a big uh, clin- not it, you know it was, it was the symbolic clinching. That this is it. You have no chance to come back uh, basket against the Rockets in Game Six in the finals. Uh, so that, but anyway, um, Bird. Uh, so you're saying eighty seven, eighty eight? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's because he may have been his highest individual point total, but that doesn't mean it was his best all around total. He rebounded better in his earlier years, more consistently uh, uh, than he did in his later years, and and so uh, some of his earlier years he had much more impressive rebound totals than he would have later on. Um, uh, so there you go. Uh, you, you mentioned. Uh, well, um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, anything else in the in, in the interim? I'll tell you, it was on on to a phenomenal year until he got hurt. Mikhail in eighty six, eighty seven. Yeah, Mikhail started off. Didn't he was he got twenty points in every game until sometime in January when Carl like Malone 65%. held a bunch of points. He, he, like he was he's the only sixty ninety. He's only sixty eighty man in NBA history. You know that. Yeah. He's the only sixty eighty man. Am I correct? Look it up. I think he is. The only guy who ever shot 60% from the floor and 80% from the line in the same year. I think he did it back-to-back and, years, too. I, I'll look okay. it up right now. So, I almost think so I... um, Mikhail, uh, told Larry Nance stepped on his foot in February of 87 and messed his foot up and messed him up for the rest of the year and really for the rest, the rest of, of his life. Year. Yeah. He He's was still never the around. same. He was never the same. Uh, that was the most relentless punishment in low post, you know, of a forward in the history of the league. You know, there were centers, Wilt was Wilt, and Kareem was Kareem, but when you're talking about a forward, that was the most relentlessly punishing forward play that has ever been seen in the league. No one could stop him. Nobody. And and he laughed at double teams. There was only one double team that, that, that phased him, and that was Kareem and, uh, and Magic. Like. No other double team bothered him in the least. And uh, it, it, There's nothing like it today. You talk about trying to explain things how do i put him up against who's got footwork like that nobody nobody plays like that every once in a while you see a nice up and under from somebody i'm being every once in a while but not but nobody had the, the variety of low post uh, repertoire that that mikhail had and uh, that's that so anyway he was that year would have been if he could if he had been able to complete that year uh healthy uh that would have been in this discussion for sure <laughs> CLNS Media is the leading online provider of audio video coverage for the Boston Celtics, and we are honored here to serve as an imperative resource for the best fans in basketball who are all over the globe. Shout out to you, Australia. Holidays are coming. We're getting ready to make a major step in Celtics coverage here at CLNS in 2018, but we're going to need your help. Here's how you can help us here at CLNS. Support our sponsors who support productions like these, and DraftKings can come through for CLNS in a big way. So go to DraftKings and use our promo code CLNS. That's DraftKings.com and promo code CLNS. So DraftKings knows to send you. You can win big prizes while you're at it with basketball season now back in full swing. Support CLNS needed by putting your basketball knowledge to the test so you can win huge cast prizes by playing one-day fantasy basketball. DraftKings, there are so many ways to play. Choose from public contests with huge cash prizes or private contests where you can compete against your friends. They've got a beginner and casual contest where you'll play against people of similar skill set as well. The best part, you got to draft a new team each day, and drafting a team is arguably the best part of fantasy. The only thing better, you're winning cash while doing it. 
Just ask Dan from St. Louis or Jeremy from Austin. They both turned a $3 entry into $1,000. Huge cash prizes and bragging rights awaits only at DraftKings. So, once again, that call to action. Use code CLNS at DraftKings.com to play free with your first deposit for a share of $10,000 in total prices tonight. Don't wait. Support CLNS and our big plans in 2018. Use code CLNS at DraftKings.com now. That's code CLNS only at DraftKings.com. The game inside the game. The ultimate perfect game for them was never to have run a play. If they could have just run the whole night, they would have chosen to do that. But they did have their, their famous six plays plus options, and they, were, they ran them very well. But, uh, but they, they just tried to push it as often as possible. What are the other regular seasons that you are keen to? I know one for me was uh, 2002, but I know you hated that team. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't like the three, but they, they, they did what they did very well, and that's an amazing team. You don't want to forget them. They really, I mean, they were, they, they did what they did, and and they were uh, my '67 Red Sox. I was a sophomore. They, in high they uh, yeah, sure. I mean, that, that, we didn't see this coming. That uh, it was, it was really, uh, it was really something, and. Uh, uh, and I remember blowing out Philly the way they did, and uh, no question. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying the first to go, party, uh, the, I assume. Of course, right? uh, well, of course, eighty-five, eighty-six. Now, yeah. I didn't cover the whole season. I was still uh, in my uh, one of my intermediate phases, and Dan Shaughnessy was covering the team. And then in January of '86, uh, the chain of events happened. Peter Gammons left the Globe to go back to Sports Illustrated. Dan immediately raised his hand. He wanted to do baseball. He had always wanted to do baseball in Boston. He had done it in Baltimore. And um, and so he took the team, and, and after they interviewed two or three people uh, for the job and didn't hire anybody, I said, all right, I'll do it for the rest of the year. Uh, I, I had done it twice before, and I, and I was ready to uh, move on. And, uh, well, uh, excuse me, I'd done it once before. Am I talking about uh, Twice before, yeah. And um, uh, I remember, uh, so I picked the team up in February after the West Coast trip. And the first night, uh, during, we're in Hartford, and Bird says to me, who's going to guard me? And I said, uh, well, I think I, I had, I've told, I forgot who it was. I told him. He left. He had 29 in the first half. So, uh, And then the next the night we're in New York. And, uh, well, soon after that we're in New York. And he puts on another ridiculous show when he had at one point he scored like 15 points in, in I don't know how many possessions, uh, uh, including technical foul and uh, three-point plays and uh, like 15 points and like four shots and something ridiculous. And I remember one of the writers down there saying, "You see this every night." I said, "Well, I haven't been, but I'm going to." And um, and the rest of that year, they were the next two months. In the months of January, February, March, April, May, that's the best basketball that the Boston Celtics have ever played. No Boston Celtic team played better basketball than the '85-'86 Celtics played, starting in January when when Walton got totally settled in. They beat the Lakers in a, in, a, in a famous game here when Walton came off the bench, and the first thing he did was block a Kareem shot. It had people going out of their mind. They had a, a the they, Hawks they, game, they went off the comeback yep, against Atlanta. Went, That's the Hawks really game, a, yeah. they're down by 20. Yeah, well, that's the half the trash talking Hawks. That game was, yep, and there were, I, and then I, I caught them on the, west, on the West Coast. This is the one Bird was off on that 25 for 34 run. And uh, uh, he, in Portland, he was ridiculous. And Left-handed. he was ridiculous in San Antonio. And he was ridiculous everywhere they went. And uh, uh, it was just so much fun. One night in Houston, Walton has 16 rebounds in, in, in uh, um, 16 or 18 minutes or something like that, you know. Uh, oh, my God. It was just, it, it, was, it was exquisite. It was the best combination of, of, of uh, power 
offense on, uh, in the half court and, and, uh, and running that I've ever seen a team have. I mean, the Warriors now are special at what they do, and the Lakers were a great running team, and, and we've seen great half-court teams, and, but the, nobody did it together the way the Boston 85-86 Celtics did. I, 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 uh, I remember thinking, these are the good old days, people. I hope you enjoy this because it, it can't get better than this, and it really in the NBA it never has. Where do you think this 2018 uh, edition can sort of fall in there? I, I made a reference there in the opening that – 2011 got off to that awesome start. That was the Shaq year. My my personal, my all-time favorite sports team was the first sports team I ever followed. That was the 1991 Celtics. It was almost sort of like a mirror image of 2011. They got off. The, and you, I think mm. you said it in one of your documentaries with Bird. Had they played the NBA Finals that year in December, they would have won the championship. Yeah, well, they were like 28 and 5, something like that, that group, right? 29 and, and 5, and, I think. And then, yeah, Bird okay, got hurt, and, and, and you the, were there. The 11 team, they were 27 and 2. Were they not? That was 2009, yeah. 27 oh, and 2 going into Christmas. And then 2011, they were, I want to say, something like 40 and 11 when they traded Perkins. Um, no, something that, like that. That, but was, that was the 2011. No, that, yeah, but either way, I was, uh, you know, those are references um, to great starts. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, uh, that this, you know, talking about this yeah, team, this year's team. Uh, it, 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 it was still in a little bit of disbelief that it can be happening. And the reason, and, and, and the technical reason is, uh, they've done it without devastating offense. And, and they're only now, they've, they're just coming off a game recently in which they had their best offensive half of the year, at least artistically, if not as well as statistically. And um, uh, maybe they're going to settle in and place the kind of offense to match the defense that they played. Now the defense seems to be leveling off as the offense is, 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 is uh, emerging. Um, they, they, but if they get the two put together, they'll be pretty good. I, you st- I don't know about you, but I still ha- I'm hesitant. I don't even want to think in terms of, of, of a championship. I, 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 I'm looking at a 12-game winning streak by the Cavaliers who don't even have Isaiah Thomas and, 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 uh, and, and saying, you know, let's not forget this, boys. And I'm looking at a, 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 a team that concerns me greatly uh, uh, in Detroit, uh, they don't seem to have any depth that I can speak of. But, but, uh, and they met the Celtics are going to have trouble with them. I think any time they play them. But anyway, um, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to project anymore. I want to enjoy it right now. Uh, I, 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 here's what they need. Here's what they need. If I could be Santa and 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 wave, you know, and 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 provide, they need. One more guy on the bench. I, I don't say, care well, if he's five, a Nate seven, or seven. Type. Nate, seven. there it is. There it is. They need a guy who puts on his IRS uh, for return as under occupation, registered jump shooter. That's what they need. They need a, They need the, the the closest thing to the Vinnie Johnson they can find. They need Lou Williams. What would it take to give up for them to give up Lou Williams and give him to the Celtics? Wouldn't Doc like to give, do his old boss a nice little favor? Um, although Doc's not calling the shots anymore, but. Uh, they need somebody like that and, and to, to make them whole. They'll, they're getting by without it, and, and, and they do have a, a reasonable scorer off the bench in Marcus Morris when he comes off the bench. But I still think that it would be nice to have. Then I'll be comfortable. I'll play anybody. Then I'll, I'll go into the playoffs thinking, hey, we can compete with anybody. I'm, I'll do it. But I, I just think they, I, I, don't, I want that scorer off the bench. I'm happy with everything else. Just sort of almost tying it back. See, that's what sort of – when I, now that you're referencing it, you listen, I would be stunned if they won the championship this year. There's no question. Only because it's 
the first year and usually looks sort of at that initial year as sort of like, you know, you, you enjoy sort of the, the actual odyssey before you get actually to Ithaca and possibly, you know, this, this 2018 season is, is that odyssey. And that's almost sort of what made 2008 just such, you know, so unique in its own right is everything happened all in that one year where, you know, we were t- at the beginning, we were talking about the early 70s Celtics, how it was like this slow progression that, you know, that group had just really gotten to know each other over the years. They made little moves, you know, getting Paul Silas, etc. I would like to think that hopefully that, that, that this would be the case if they win the championship this year. Great, but it would be sort of hey, remember that 2018 oh. team? That was sort of uh, you know the the thing that got it going before they eventually won the championship in uh, 2019 or 2020 or, or 2021 or whatever. Yeah, no, uh, no question. Well, that's that's uh, you know we go back to the early, you know, my early days and that that the 60 the 70 71 team that won the 44. Uh, Brought basketball back to Boston. In fact, it, it increased its interest. Uh, this is the whole, you know, the, the Cowens. The Cowens was a, 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 a magnetic, popular figure. He, he brought a lot of people in under the tent that hadn't been there, and, uh, and and people started paying attention to the Celtics in a way that that only the the cult fans had. Done. That was hard to do back then because the Bruins were white hot. Oh, and this was up against the big bad Bruins, yeah, exactly. the greatest hockey era in the history of Boston. If, People, if, you're, if people didn't live through that, they can't comprehend how hockey-centric Boston was in the, in the 70s, uh, thanks to Orr and company, and Orr and Esposito and, and, and Busick and Cheevers and uh, Sanderson, etc. Hodge, I mean, that team that won twice and, and, and should have, could have won five. And and won twice and got stunned in '71 when they had the best record and they got beat by the Canadians and Dryden and all that. Um, but uh, they they were that, that that they owned this town and then we had a we had a minor league team that was selling out. I mean it was ridiculous how, how important hockey was in this, you know. And we were up against that. The Celtics would average eight ten thousand people, except maybe when the Lakers or Sixers came in. Uh, not the Sixers then, when the Knicks, Knicks came in, the Knicks. and the Knicks were the Lakers, and then, uh, but the Bruins were dead, were, were drop dead sellouts every night, and, 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 and then so were the Braves, and uh, it was just an amazing time, and then the Whalers came along, and so it was truly uh, nothing, you know, hockey was totally dominant, but and you know, but then, you know, we, we flipped it over when, in the Bird era, yeah. I remember the first time I said, oh my God, what's going on? There was a game sometime, you know, in the 80 you know, eighty, eighty-one, somewhere in there, and they're playing Utah, who sucked. They you, they beat Utah like twenty some straight times, twenty-eight straight times, something like that. You could look it up, and uh, they sold out for a Utah game at home. And I went, I mean, I, this was monumental at the time. They sold out for Utah, and I also remember Larry, you'll love this one, and thinking, you know, you know t- as the ticket prices escalated, I got my season tickets in seventy-eight, and they were eight dollars, and I had the first row of the balcony, sixty-two rows A, seats one and two, looking down at the foul line. And and they were eight bucks. And by the time I got out of the garden, they were up to fifty. But uh, I remember thinking in the early, you know, maybe, maybe they'd have the, if they have the gall to go for up to twenty top. People might. I think people would still go and pay twenty. So that's that's where we were in the early eighties. No, I got my season tickets now, and they're like Bitcoin. I mean, I can just. Uh, I guess I can't really go too in depth, but it was a very good investment. It's really uh, paying its dividends right now. So <laughs> how about good. this to get you out of here? This I think is a good one. Brad Stevens this year, best coach season? Because I think this is an interesting discussion because when you actually think of my lifetime, you don't really think of 
you know, amazingly coached Celtics teams. You can even go back to Casey Jones as, and he was more of just rolling out the balls guy that, you know, here you go. But I know you're definitely not going to say Jimmy O'Brien in 2002. And, you know, even Doc Rivers is kind of the same thing. It was a little bit of a roll of balls out, you know, Casey Jones type thing. So Brad, Steve, is this the best coach, best coaching job you've seen? It's a tremendous coaching job. And by the way, don't discount my feeling about Jim O'Brien and that team because I, I, I thought Jim O'Brien did a wonderful job and, and was unappreciated. Uh, but um, I'll tell you this. Heinsohn, in the early days, uh, he, first of all, Cowens was a unique thing, and he figured out how to best use him. And Dave would acknowledge this. He did acknowledge it on, the, on, my, on my podcast. Uh, he, he, he knew what he had, and he figured out how to best to get the most and, and, and make the most of what Dave could do. I'm not sure every other coach would have had the foresight to do it, use him the way he did him. Uh, as time went on, Tommy and I had a little falling out over a lot of things, and, and, and I think he tried to basically overthink things, quite frankly. And Shuby was, Shuby was a great coach and a great psychologist when he might have been well advised to leave things alone. Casey Jones was the king of leaving things alone. 85-86, he coached them perfectly by staying out of the way. Not, not a lot of people would have had that kind of restraint. God knows if my friend Hubie Brown were coaching him, I don't think they would have, he would have stayed out of the way. But, but Casey stayed out of the way, which is an asset. But this is amazing. This guy is Mozart. This guy is, is uh, I, I just saw a tweet Yesterday, you probably saw it too. Somebody was doing a thing, and they said if if there was a draft of coaches, you know, a free agent draft of coaches that uh, the Bulls had the first pick, that they they should take Brad Stevens. Now I don't know who wrote this, and I haven't followed up to see what the uh, the full extent of the story. But the fact that anyone's even suggesting this over is Popovich, not I know, I know, is amazing. And uh, yeah, well, Pop's sixty some years old too, okay. you know. But but um, anyway, you know, and that that probably they're thinking about future, and you know, and. and Pop's not going to be around much longer, no question. Um, but um, anyway, but this year, wow, because think about it, 10 new players. Your oldest standby veteran is 23 years old. Marcus Smart is the player with the longest point of service on this team. He's 23. You have 10 new players. You are blending them this quickly at two at both ends of the floor to play like this? Now, yes, he's got talent, and, and anybody that doesn't understand that there's a talent upgrade uh, going on at point guard, um, they're just hopelessly in love with Isaiah, who we all love. But, folks, this guy's a better player, okay? And, you know, he's, he's proving it in, uh, night in, night out. So, um, yes, Brad's doing a phenomenal job, and this, may, this very well may be as good a coaching job. Uh, you know, post hour back. I mean, hour back, you, you can't discount going way, way back understand how the league was and what the mentality about centers was and and how rare no one ever had ever seen a shot blocker before and that most people thought that a center's primary job was to score and 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 our back realized that he had a guy whose primary assets were defense and rebounding and uh, and, and he knew how best to 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 uh, coach him uh, so that was a perfect marriage of, of coaching philosophy and and talent uh, but what what Brad is doing to put a team together this quickly I think I, I, I think it's it's maybe very well be as good a coaching job as the Celtics have ever seen. Swan song with Bob Ryan. Still catch Mr. Ryan though. CLNS Media's very own. The Bob Ryan Boston podcast available like this one on the CLNS Media Network mobile app. The free CLNS Media Network mobile app. Bob's been a great guest, great podcast host, great supporter here for CLNS. 
not just all his guest appearances on Celtic Speed over the last uh, many, many years now, going back to some uh, less than interesting Celtics teams a few years ago, not, not too long ago it seems like when it's all said and done, but uh, you know, being on Celtics Beat, working with me on the on my Paul Pierce documentary film, which is up on the YouTube channel, still still featured, I believe. Paul Pierce, the best pure scorer in Celtics history. YouTube.com slash CLNS Media. That subtitle is a direct quote from Bob himself on this podcast some many years ago. We put on that documentary, so. I mean, in my final few weeks here, it was a, a layup that uh, I would speak to Bob one more time here on Celtics Beat. Okay, next week, uh, Mr. Valeni will sit in for me. I myself will be back Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. That is going to put the capper on my hosting career of this podcast. That will be episode number 242 and 243, but for episode number 240... Mr. Valenny's got 241 next week. But 240 is in the books. Support this show and the network, again, by going to DraftKings.com. and Use the promo code CLNS. DraftKings.com, promo code CLNS. Big plans for the network in 2018. I can't wait to be a part of them. Uh, If any can support that sponsor, you would play a major, major role. And for that, we would be ever so thankful if you did so. DraftKings.com and promo code CLNS. All right, music provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Legretto. For staff writer Scott Dillon, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Larry H. Russell signing off for Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Media. <laughs>